sort, please be turning to Luke 7. We're going to look at that in a second. Luke 7, verse 36. That's where we are. It would be helpful to have it in front of you. There's, uh, there's not too many slides this morning. Well, there's just enough slide to show the Bible verse, really. So better have some slides. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you that you are faithful and you are with us in our circumstances and in the detail of life. And uh, when things are difficult, you do not turn away or turn your face away or remove your hand, but uh, you are so willing to help us as we look to you. So, Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful God. We thank you that during the worship this morning, you reminded us of that and called us to draw near to you. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for that, and we pray now by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, you would open up our hearts, you would open up our ears, and we might learn from you what it is that you want to say to us through this passage, through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, this morning we are carrying on our encounter series, and really we're looking at, uh, I think, understanding forgiveness is maybe the task, stop doing that, uh, maybe the title that I'll uh, give it. See, the more you understand a thing, the more you can appreciate it. At Crisscross this summer, I learned more about the sun, the moon, the stars, and the universe through what Claire taught me than uh, 14 years of my education did. Uh, and it gave me a greater appreciation for the universe that God has created for us to live in. As I understood it more, I appreciated it more. The more sometimes you understand about what a person has done for you, the more you can appreciate that person or those people. One real joy to me as a parent is now seeing my children growing up and taking on the responsibilities of home ownership and car ownership and other things and then realizing, wow, dad, these things cost money, don't they? Wow, these things take some working out, dad, don't they? Boilers break. I know they do darling it's amazing there is something of a there is something of a an appreciation maybe that is coming that has come through hey so hold on there parents it'll come at this time of year i suppose uh with the poppies uh we remember those who have died in wars given their lives to protect the freedoms uh that you and i enjoy and films are made and stories are told and Paul was telling me he was out of blue water on Saturday, and there were people there giving the kids away, you know, poppy, uh, you know, badges and dollies and rulers and pencil sharpeners. And it's because they want those of us, like me, and probably like most of you, who have never fought in a war or lived through a war, to understand something of the sacrifice that men and women who gave their lives in those situations. And they want us to understand so that we can appreciate what they did for us. And today, we're going to look at two people who encountered Jesus, one who understood and appreciated what Jesus had done, and one who didn't understand at all what Jesus had done. So let me read for you Luke 7, 36 to 50. It may well come up uh, behind us, in some uh, guys. Uh, we'll see, though. 
I'm just waving at Hattie, and she's... Anyway, I'll read. It may come up. It may not. Luke 7, 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. I'd have real trouble doing that. I don't think we'd get much drying done. But anyway, then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume over them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay, so let's just get our heads around the story just so that we, can, we know uh, what it is. Jesus is having dinner. He's at this uh, house of a guy called Simon, who's a Pharisee. Uh, not to be mistaken with Simon Peter. That's a different disciple. This is Simon the Pharisee. And in those days, when people ate, apparently they laid on their fronts, which I always think is a bit weird, right? They laid down to eat on their front like that, you know, to eat. Uh, that's how it was. Uh, I can't really understand why, but there we go. That's what they did. And this lady comes in. She doesn't seem to be part of the original dinner party crowd. She doesn't seem to have been invited at all. She comes in, and because Jesus is like that, you know, eating his steak and chips or whatever, she comes up behind him, and she starts to, 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 to weep, and the water goes on his feet, and she starts to, you know, wash it with her hair, you know, are you picturing it? You've got a picture. It's comic, really, isn't it? She's drying it like that, and then she cracks open the perfume and, uh, and puts it on his feet. Now, most commentators agree that this phrase, where she's described as a sinful woman, actually means she was a prostitute. That's kind of it's what, what it's a euphemism for. She was a prostitute. 
And whilst all this is going on, Simon, the Pharisee, whose house it is, he's looking on with disdain. And he concludes that Jesus can't even be a prophet, can't even be a man who God would speak through, because he doesn't realize that this woman is a prostitute and she's cleaning his feet. So you've got a picture, Simon, he's, he's thinking this in his mind. He doesn't say it out loud, he thinks it in his mind. But Jesus knows what's going on in Simon's mind. And so he tells him this parable about two people, neither of whom can pay a debt they owe. One of the debts is far greater than the other one, but neither of them can pay. And he asked Simon, who do you think would love most of these two, having had their debts forgiven? And Simon says, well, I suppose the one who, who, uh, who was let off the biggest amount. And then Jesus no, turns to the woman, but he says to Simon that she is acting as the one who's been forgiven a big debt. That's what her actions reveal. That's why she's doing what she's doing. And then Jesus starts to question Simon about his actions and what do they reveal? Namely, you didn't give me water and you didn't welcome me and you didn't give me any refreshments and you didn't anoint my head with oil as a traveler, which is what you should do as a host. And Simon kind of doesn't get the chance to maybe answer back until Jesus uh, turns to the woman in the hearing of everyone, including Simon, and declares, your sins are forgiven, go in peace with God. It's quite a cool story, isn't it? I like it as a story. So let's look at this, see what we can learn from this, 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 this kind of one encounter involving two people. And I want to do that by comparing and contrasting this woman to Simon the Pharisee. We're just going to look at it under three, not six, three points. We're going to look at, at her, then we're going to look at him. So the first one is this. She is already saved. Okay, she is already saved. This woman doesn't come to Jesus in order to be saved, but rather she has been saved and she is coming to express her gratitude for that. We don't know when she was saved. We don't know how she was saved. What we do know is that Jesus was going around preaching, healing people, and everywhere he went, people put their faith in him. And so presumably, at some point in the past, she's heard Jesus preach. She's repented of her sin. But now the occasion arises when she can actually go and express her thanks to Jesus because actually everybody in the town knows that he's gone to have dinner at the house of Simon the Pharisee. Are you with me? So now she seizes the moment. She barges in uninvited to Simon's house. She doesn't even ask permission uh, to be there. She doesn't ask permission of Jesus to clean his feet. She's come with the jar ready to anoint his feet, to pour the perfume out. She's come prepared not to say, please save me, but she's come prepared to say, thank you for saving me. She's, she's come. She's ready. That's what she's come to do. In the parable, the debtor who expresses love has already been forgiven. They've been forgiven already. Jesus says her sins have been forgiven. Her faith has saved her. He doesn't say that just happened when she washed his feet. It actually happened sometime previously when she put her faith in him before this display of thankfulness, before this display of love. And so she can go in peace 
rest assured that her faith has saved her. What she did in private, it has saved her because she now comes to Jesus and out of love she does this. And then Jesus reassures her by publicly declaring your faith has saved you, now go in peace. So she doesn't receive salvation at this moment, but what she does receive is reassurance from Jesus' lips declared in front of other people that she is forgiven. So that's her. That's the position that she's in as we come to this story. But the Pharisee, Simon, well, he's not saved. She was saved. He's not saved. He's a Pharisee. That means he's a religious leader of the day. Most Pharisees enjoyed the status that being a Pharisee gave them. They, they, they are often criticized in Jesus' day, often by Jesus, because they are puffed up, ruling over the people, not really serving God, but in a sense trying to uh, oppress, rule over the people. And I suspect that Simon is no different. Jesus was the, was the celebrity, if you like, of the day. He was the key figure of the day at that time in that location. Whether you believe that he was the Messiah or a rabbi or a prophet or a charlatan, whatever you believed about him, he was the big news. There was no TV. There was no circus in town. Somebody like Jesus comes and begins preaching and healing, drawing crowds. Jesus is the big news. And so Simon, well, he could have invited Jesus out of interest to find out more. Or maybe it was more about Simon wanting to increase his own self-importance because he was the man who could invite the man of the moment to come and have dinner at his house. Truth is, we don't know why, but somehow I don't think it was because Simon was genuinely interested. I think actually it was much more of him wanting to uh, show that he was the man who could invite the man to his house. We know he's not a believer because when he sees the woman start to clean Jesus' hair, he thinks to himself, Jesus can't even be a prophet because he doesn't know what kind of woman this is. Are you with me? There's no way that Simon can think that Jesus is the son of man. He doesn't even think that Jesus is in touch with God because Jesus allows this woman, who formerly was a prostitute, to touch him. So in Simon's mind, Jesus certainly is not the Messiah, he's not the Son of God. Simon, if you like, has this kind of veneer of religiosity, but he's not saved. It's funny here, when you look at these two, how the one who is saved seems maybe slightly unsure of her salvation, maybe because she was aware of how great other people would view her sin over their sin. That's the woman. And so what she receives from Jesus is confirmation and a public declaration that she is saved. Whilst the one who probably seems more sure of his salvation, Simon, the Pharisee, the religious leader, is not actually saved. And what he gets through having Jesus in his house is not confirmation and reassurance of his salvation. What he gets is a rude awakening and being made aware of the reality of his situation. So one is saved, one isn't saved. 
second thing I want us to compare and trust about these two is that she cares about what Jesus thinks. She doesn't care what other people think. Her focus is on Jesus. Just, just think back to the culture of the day. How much courage would it take for a woman uninvited to barge into a meal at Simon the Pharisee's house while he is entertaining an important religious guest? Right? How much courage would it take to barge into a house in that culture if you're a man, but more so if you're a woman, while an important religious figure is having a meal with other important religious figures? How much courage would it take? How much more courage would it take if that person was known by everyone there to be a prostitute? They may well have just given their lives to God, but nobody else knows that. If you're known as a prostitute, that, that follows you, doesn't it? That follows you. How much courage did it take for her to enter into that house? Extraordinary. Extraordinary. How grateful do you have to be so that you're able to weep enough tears of joy to clean someone's feet? I mean, how grateful do you have to be? These are dusty roads. The reason why a host had to clean feet was because people walked along in sandals. I did this in Zim. I walked for five minutes. My sandals on my feet were completely covered in dust and ants and other things. I've just wrecked them in five minutes. In that kind of act, how many tears must you cry out of gratitude to have enough to be able to wash someone's feet? Extraordinary. Here's another one. Do you like these? How, how much humility do you need to wipe someone's feet with your hair? I mean, how much? How much humility do you need to wipe someone's feet with your hair when everybody in the, rest, in the room is looking at you and would, and would say that you are unclean and shouldn't even be touching Jesus? Just how much humility do you need? The way this woman acts. You can read it in the Bible. Oh, yeah, oh, she cried over him. She wiped it with her feet. They carried on. If you do that, you miss this. You miss this story. You've got to stop. How many people's feet have you cleaned? How many people have you cried over that you could clean someone? No, no not at all. You've got to stop at this moment. Press pause. See what she is doing. See the surroundings that she is in. Everybody else around her would have hated her, would have wanted her not to be in the room. Here she is, uninvited, right in the middle. I love it. The way this woman acts, the courage, the gratefulness, the humility, shows us that she only cares about one thing. She cares about Jesus. What she cares about is doing this for Jesus, what he thinks. She pays no attention to anyone else. She doesn't care what they think. She doesn't care what they may do. She doesn't ask their permission. She doesn't care whether they approve or not because she's not focused on them. She is focused on Jesus. Seems to me she's figured out that she's going to overcome fear. She's going to humble herself. It's worth it 
in order for her to be able to express her love for Jesus because he has forgiven her sins. That's the driver. We'll come to that in a minute. Now let's think about Simon. So she cares about what Jesus thinks, not what other people think. I conclude that Simon cares about what other people think, not what Jesus thinks. See, having invited Jesus into his house to eat, Simon is the host. Jesus is the guest. But the question is, is is Simon genuinely interested in Jesus as his guest? Or has he invited Jesus in for his own benefit or for his benefit in front of those who are watching in the community? Is it for Jesus' benefit or is it for his own benefit? And when Jesus asks the question, Simon calls Jesus teacher. Now, is that because he genuinely wants to learn from Jesus or is he just saying it to appear humble in front of others who might regard Jesus as a teacher? Who is Simon really focused on? Is he really focused on Jesus or is he really focused on himself? Well, Jesus nails him. He nails him firstly by speaking out what is going on in Simon's mind. Simon thinks something disdainful about this woman, and it's like Jesus says, I am at least a prophet, Simon, because God's spoken to me and revealed what's in your head. I think at this moment, Simon gulps. He's been standing there, hmm, hmm, hmm. She's a hmm, and he's not even a hmm. And Jesus speaks it out. I think Simon is now wobbling. I think he's wobbling at this moment. And then Jesus carries on, because then he compares Simon's actions since arriving with the woman's. You didn't greet me. She hasn't stopped kissing me. You didn't wash my feet. She washed them with her tears. You haven't given any oil to my head to refresh me. She brought along her own perfume to your house, Simon, and poured it on my feet. Simon's actions, or in this case, a complete lack of actions, Even the most basic requirement of any host in Jesus' day was to provide a welcome, to provide water, to provide refreshment. Simon didn't do, and Jesus nails him. And he's nailed him because he's saying, Simon, your focus isn't really on me at all. You want to look good. You maybe want to look good in front of your uh, peers. Maybe you want to be the one who's going to decide whether, you know, Jesus is a charlatan or he is a prophet. Whatever reason... Whatever, 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 it's the opposite of the woman who's absolutely focused on Jesus. It doesn't get better for Simon, by the way. He probably thought he was having a good day inviting Jesus to have a meal. Not quite going to play out like that. The third and final compare-contrast I want to do is the fact that she is acting out of love for Jesus based on the forgiveness of her sins. See, Jesus explains what's going on here. He explains why she's acting as she is. It's out of love, a love that comes from the fact that she knows her sins have been forgiven, a debt that she had before God that she was unable to pay, Jesus has paid. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. She's acting this way because she loves me. The reason she loves me is because her sins have been forgiven. Jesus himself gives us the key to this whole encounter. In the parable, she's like the one who realizes that this unpayable debt has been cancelled. 
and therefore is going to love the one who paid it. Her great acts of love, which she's performed on Jesus, is because now she loves him because he's the one who has paid her debt. The debt that she owed to God that kept her separate from God has been paid by Jesus, and now she can go and sin no more and live at peace with God. That's why she acted this way. In fact, what she's doing here is acting out what Jesus will do for her on the cross. I don't know if you've read this story and realized this. I don't think she knew at the time or she had limited knowledge. But her actions are clearly inspired by the Holy Spirit. And there are too many parallels here for it just to be a coincidence with what Jesus achieved for her on the cross. Let's just go through some of them. Just as she humbles herself at his feet in front of people, so Jesus is going to humble himself, not only just by coming to earth, but by being stripped naked, hung on a cross in view of a watching hostile crowd. Do you see? She didn't humble herself in a nice Sunday morning meeting, la, 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 let's do that. She humbled herself amongst the hostile crowd. Jesus humbles himself to the nth degree by allowing the people that he created to strip him bare and hang him on a cross. Just as she makes him physically clean, so Jesus is going to make her spiritually clean on the cross. You see, through her tears and her body, right? So she cries and then she wipes his feet with her hair. The dirt, which is on him, gets transferred to her. That's what she does physically. He came in dirty. Through her tears and through the use of her body, she takes that dirt onto herself and he is then clean. Think about the cross. Through Jesus' tears... Right, which he cries in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he cries out to his father, is there another way but, Lord, not your will but mine? And then through his body, as he allows his body to be broken on the cross, her spiritual dirt gets transferred and dealt with on him, and she is clean. Do you see that? The physical dirt gets transferred from, her, from him to her, because later on, her spiritual dirt is going to be transferred from her to him. That's how she gets forgiven. Just as she anoints Jesus' feet with perfume, it's poured out on him and gives this pleasing aroma. So one day, shortly, the wrath, the righteous anger of God against sin is going to be poured out on Jesus on the cross. And it is going to enable God, who is always just and fair, to declare that the price for sin has been paid by Jesus for anyone who fully puts their faith in him. Her actions, motivated by love for Jesus, based on her appreciation, her understanding of what he's done for her in forgiving her sin, actually highlights, actually signposts, actually helps us to appreciate what Jesus is going to do for her in a few short days' time on the cross. 
So back to Simon. Because Simon, he's, he's not acting out of love for Jesus. Because he doesn't think that he needs to have his sins forgiven. I think as this conversation goes on, Simon would have got more and more uncomfortable. Because Jesus is explaining and praising this woman, and at the same time, he's basically criticizing Simon for his wrong thoughts about her, for his wrong thoughts about who Jesus was, for his neglect of Jesus as a guest, for the fact that she did in Simon's house what Simon should have done. And Simon is an educated man. He's a Pharisee. He's able to work out the meaning of what Jesus is saying. He's able to work out the meaning of the parable, that when people know that God has forgiven them their sin, they act like this woman. They pour out love to God in tangible, visible, courageous, humble ways because they know that a debt has been paid that they could never pay. And therefore, hang on, if you don't act like this, if you don't act like this towards Jesus, then it means that love is not in your heart to overflow, and so you don't act like this. He's understanding this. It's all leading Simon to realize that actually, Jesus is not talking so much about the woman, but he's talking to Simon about Simon. He's talking to him about his own salvation. You see, the Pharisees at the time, believed and taught other people, if you obey the rules and you keep offering sacrifices for sin and you keep doing that until the day that you die, God would one day forgive you. God would one day forgive your sin. So they were powerless to set anyone free from sin because you earned it day by day, action by action. But this woman, who Simon would have considered a great sinner, is now declared by Jesus to be free from sin, to be forgiven, to be accepted, to be at peace with God. All the things that Simon is striving hard to do to achieve in his own strength by obeying the rules, Jesus suddenly declares, this woman has it. She's forgiven. And she seems really happy about it. And in fact, she seems to be pouring out her love for Jesus more than Simon does. And yet he's maybe striving hard to keep the rules, but it's not producing love. She hasn't, she's humbled herself, and yet she's got God's love in her, and it's being poured back out to Jesus as love. I think Simon's brain is being turned around, switched upside down. Simon must have realized Jesus is saying to him, she loves me and she does all this because she knows that I've forgiven her. And you, Simon, don't love me because you don't even realize that your sins need to be forgiven. You're trying to earn your salvation by obeying the rules, most of which you made up yourself, when actually you need to humble yourself. You need to have courage. You need to come to me like this woman did and ask for my forgiveness, and I will give it to you. It's like, remember that thing? You know, they say when you point your finger at somebody else, there are three fingers pointing back at you. Everyone ever do that to you? Point your finger, there's three pointing back at you. I think, Simon, it's like, He's pointed his finger at her in his mind with what he said, and suddenly he finds Jesus pointing back at him. He's Jesus pointing back, you're not saved, Simon. Simon, you have more interest in yourself than in me. Simon, you don't love me because your sins have not been forgiven. You don't even realize that your sins need to be forgiven by me. Jesus, in that sense, doesn't join up all the dots for Simon, but I think he leaves him in no doubt what he needs to do. It's not what Simon, I suspect, wanted to hear. 
Let me try and say, when I looked at this, these two encounters of these two people, I've got to say to you, I am challenged. I mean, most of you know me know I'm challenged anyway in many areas, but I'm particularly challenged by these two. See, I'm challenged when I think about Simon because we live in a nation of Simons. Some of them think they're saved and they're not, and the other half don't care if they are saved or they're not saved. We seem to live in a nation of Simon. They've got no awareness that their sin is separating them from God. But Jesus, I see, models two things. Number one, he spends time with Simon. He goes to Simon's house and he spends time with him. He doesn't back away from Simon. He eats in his, their house. He heals sicknesses. He spends time. But secondly, you know what he does? He makes them aware of the fact that they're sinners who need God's forgiveness. Jesus does not shy away from telling it as it really is. And for me, I often shy away from telling people. Sometimes I justify it under the thing it's the wrong time. Sometimes I justify it under the thing, you know, it's not the right place. When actually maybe I just need to take more courage like this woman and to speak up and to act and to be more concerned with what Jesus thinks than with what the world thinks. That's what I think about that one. If the cat fits, wear it. If it doesn't, don't. But I'm also challenged when I think about this woman and her actions which I think are brave and humble and come from this genuine gratefulness of what Jesus has done for her, real salvation. How easy I forget that being forgiven my sin based on what Jesus did for me on the cross is the greatest, most costly, most powerful, most important thing that has ever happened to me in my life. How easy I forget in the busyness of life and the trappings of other things and the worries of other things, that actually the greatest, most important, most powerful thing that ever happened to me is that Jesus forgave my sins. When I stand before God in heaven, I'm not going to talk about those other things. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to say, I know I did all them things, Father, but Jesus, he paid the price for me. I gave my life to him when I was 13. I remember it. I was on my knees. That's going to be my plea. I have no other plea. What other plea will I give? Oh, I was a church leader and I tried quite hard. Oh, I gave 10% of my money and I tried to be extra when I felt like it. Well, there's rubbish. It's rubbish. My plea will be, yes, I, I did all that. Some of it was good and some of it wasn't good, but Jesus died for me and I put my faith in him. That's what I'm going to stand there and say to God. I've got no other leg to stand on. If you're a Christian, neither of you. And the love that I see her pouring out to Jesus in this moment, this snapshot, is the love I want to pour out to Jesus every day of my life. So the level I understand my forgiveness is the level to which I can appreciate the one who made forgiveness possible. So the level we understand how much Jesus has done for us, I think is the level to which we will be able to appreciate and pour out our love to him. So my prayer for myself, for you as King's Church, is this. Holy Spirit, please increase my understanding of what Jesus did on the cross that I might appreciate and love him more. Holy Spirit, please help me to stop looking at my circumstances and how well I think things are going in my life as the barometer or the gauge of how much Jesus loves me. And let me keep my eyes focused on the cross, which is where I truly learn to understand and appreciate how much Jesus loves me.
Holy Spirit, never let Jesus be to me as he was in Simon's house, an ignored and overlooked guest. But let Jesus always be as he was to this woman, the object and the focus of my love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Thanks.